Man, I'll tell you what, I have a, well, hello, sorry, pardon my surprise there. I, uh, I can't decide where I want this, so we'll just be awkward for a minute, and I'll leave it right there. Hey, um, every time that I, I get to sing that song, Reckless Love, I get this like weird check right in my heart, because I, I have a moment where I have to remind myself of what the, the writer actually is saying, and, and I actually love the truth of this idea of what he's saying. It's, it's not that God's love is just reckless and he kind of tosses it around everywhere. It's that to the sinner, like to the lost, broken, messed up, tired, hurting person, it would seem like God would be wasting himself to put love of his onto that person. It seems almost like he's throwing it away. Because of, of our attitude and our desire and how we run so quickly to us instead of God. And so the, the song, the reason I love that song so much is because to the lost sinner, to the one that he goes and chases down, it seems foolish. But God's love is never foolish. It's never reckless. It's actually purposeful and useful. But it's so strong and so overwhelming and so incredibly imperative to our hearts that it seems to be almost silly. And I love that. I love the imagery there. I love that no matter where I'm at or what stupid thing I've done, or even this, man, even the moments where I've doubted who God was and gotten upset and forgotten, where I've run to myself as an idol, even in those moments that God still loves, like pours himself out fully to me. It's so beautiful. And so comforting and convicting that I, I, I could just sit in that moment forever. I love it. I love it. That's hope. That's the gospel. Let me pray and we'll dive into our uh, first week here. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, thank you that you are exactly uh, who you say you are. God, I'll never get tired of praying that prayer because it is a place of security and hope that you are unchanging, that you are incapable of forgetting us and leaving us, that, that you are a God who, who goes and seeks out the one. I, I love that chorus, that song that, that says that there's no, no shadow you won't light up, there's no wall you won't tear down, there's nothing that can get in the way. So Father, let us be people who believe that today. As we talk about your promises and your word, let us be people who take you at your word. Because when we do, we will see lives changed. We love you. Be with us this morning. Thank you for all you do and the things you don't that we think you should. Because you're God and we're not. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Man. So, um, hello, good morning, everyone. How are we? Sorry, I got really excited there. We good? Yeah. Awesome. To our friends watching online, hello, and as always, hi, wife, I love you. Um, hey, we are going to be kind of all over, but I really want you to mark two pages in your Bible today. The first is 2 Timothy 3, and then we're also going to be, I should have said this one first because it's in the front, or the Old Testament, uh, in Joshua 4. Are kind of the two places we're going to go. Hey, quick reminder, today directly after church is our growth track. Um, it's our membership class or kind of whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it's right after church in the conference room, um, which is through the door. And it's like the third door on the left. But we'll have, um, we'll have people telling you where to go. Uh, if you signed up for that, great. We're ready for you. If you didn't sign up, 
great. We're still ready for you. We'd love for you to come if you haven't been through that process. If you want to know who we are as a church, um, what we're about, what we're not about, uh, we want to give you that opportunity. It's going to take about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, and we'll have lunch. So if you can't get around free Zaxby's, I don't know what else to do. Right? Chick-fil-A is closed. We got to do what we can do. If you're at home, by the way, and you'd like to be a part of that, let me know, and we'll figure out a way to kind of um, get you in on that as well. But last week uh, was our Vision Sunday, which I was a little pumped up, if you couldn't tell. Um, yeah, it was, it was, I was excitable even, I would say. But it was great. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch that or listen to it, please do. It's online. You can uh, listen through that. It was long. We got out of here at like 4 o'clock, and that was okay. Um, but it was good, man. I, I was happy to share some of the exciting things that God is doing. But one of the things that we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're going to talk about the, the five values that we have sat down and prayed over and really like taken some time to think about what we want to be known by as a church. Like what's going to separate us or maybe even what's going to unify us with other churches, but what's going to separate us from the culture that we live in. And so we, we established five values and they're not in order because I messed that up. But today we're going to talk about trusting God's promises, that we believe in trusting God's promises. Um, the reason we have these values is because we want to say, like, what we value is then how we will act and how we'll steward our money and it's how we'll spend our time and it's where we'll invest in people. And so there, there are five things that we're going to be all about in the next five weeks. And so if you want to hear about what we are as a church, this is a great place to do it. But this week, is actually the second one there, because again, I screwed that up. Um, and it's, it's that we trust in God's promises. Like, we want to be a church that trusts in what God says. I don't know if you know, I kind of made mention of this. I've talked about it a bunch, because it's just on my heart. I am tired of hearing words that start with un. Is anyone else tired of that? Yeah, we can participate. That's what I meant. Is anyone else tired of that? Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm sick of hearing unprecedented. Like, oh my gosh. If I get one more email that says, dear valued customer, in these unprecedented times, I'm going to just vomit all over my computer. That's gross. I'm really sorry I said that out loud. I'm so tired of hearing unprecedented, unknown, unwhatever, because here is, here is what we know as a church, that we have something we can hold on to, that we have something we can stand on. Because here's what we believe. Here's the first value, that we believe in trusting God's promises because he is exactly who he says he is. Because he hasn't forgotten. I think a lot of times we like think about God and these things like COVID come up or someone dies or some disease happens, something terrible strikes, and we're like, well, where was God? He must have forgotten. And we imagine God like sitting up on the throne being like, oh, jeez. God, I missed that one. I did not see that coming. Crud. They're going to be mad at me now. That's it. Time to flood the earth. Um, we get this idea that, that God is just passive. But the reality is God is not passive. God is incredibly active. He's always moving. As we, even a couple weeks ago, went through the book of Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is like, God, where are you? When we read in the Psalms, David is going, God, where are you? We consistently see people in Scripture, like Paul, who's like, I'm in prison. I might die here. And the reality of all those situations is that God is working in them all. He hasn't forgotten us. How silly. But I see a lot of 
people, or a lot, lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anger. And it comes out on this great platform that we've all been blessed with called Facebook. Right? And man, we will stand strong on the words of whatever news channel you want to watch rather than on what God's word says. We go, we go there first. But, but here's what scripture says. This is what 2 Timothy says. It's Paul writing to Timothy. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Now, we read that, and you read that surfacing, and you're like, oh, good, okay, yeah. Y'all put some value in that. And then we actually get, let's read that a little slower, okay? I want to see how these words sit on you. All scripture is breathed out by God. Yeah, we're all okay. It's profitable for teaching. Okay, we're good. How about this? For reproof. Let that sit for a second. All God's word, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for correction. We still really enjoying this part of scripture, anybody? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be complete and equipped. What makes it so good? Listen, why is it profitable? It's profitable for teaching. We're all okay with that, right? Like what we see, we come to church, we read a little bit here and there. I hope maybe a little more than a little bit. But its purpose is to be taught to make us wise. So that we don't do the same thing we do over and over and over again. You guys know how many times you have to burn your hand on the stove before you realize the stove is hot? Once. One time. I've seen that with my kids. Colin, when he was like four, touched the stove once. That was it. Now sometimes, like, let's not get super semantic here. Yeah, sometimes you like grab a pan. You're like, ow, I knew that was hot. What am I doing? Right? Okay, that's not what I'm saying. After the first time, you're not like, I wonder. It's hot. This hurts. We only have to learn once. And so God is very clear. Paul's very clear. He says, listen, it is good for teaching. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. God's word is good for teaching. But then we get into stuff that it's good but kind of not so fun. For reproof. God's word, here's literally what that word means in, in, the, in the Greek. It means that God's word is good for rebuke, conviction, and punishment. That's reproof. Anyone signing up for that? Right? It's like, you know what I want to go do on Sunday morning? Go get some reproof. I am pumped about being convicted and punished. Now, granted, punishment is not the fullness of what... Paul's saying here, but, but the reality is, like, that's what he says scripture is good for, teaching and reproof, rebuke. Do you know why this is important? Because we have a problem, this is how we forget, we have a problem with cultural Christianity and making rules about what God says and there's no rules on. We have built churches around this. Guys, I went to North Greenville for a year before I was relieved of that opportunity, Right? And we couldn't dance. We couldn't have a dance. Now it's changed, right? There was like a rave last year or something crazy. <laughs> Dr. Fant's awesome. No drugs, I think. Um, 
No, but I, I actually remember having this conversation. I was like, we, why can't we dance? I'm like, well, because we're Christians. And I was like, and as a new Christian, I was exactly the kind of person North Greenville wanted. Um, and I was like, cool, where, why? Where is that in the Bible? And they were like, well, it's there. I said, like, I don't think so, man. Like, in fact, if we want to be biblical, I'm about to get naked and dance, because that's what we saw in Scripture, right? Like, yeah, that's not why I got kicked out, actually. But um, <laughs> please don't get naked and dance here. Thank you. But, but, but it's true. Like, we have, we have taken things that seem Christian and said that they're biblical truth, and they're not. Like, it, the more you read Scripture, like, the kind of weirder things are, Right? One of my favorite stories in scripture is literally about a prophet who's walking down a mountain, gets made fun of by teenagers because they call him bald, and then he calls down she-bears and they kill 42 kids. Like, that's bizarre. See, scripture's fun. I'm going to show that kid. Yeah. Don't make fun of bald people. Right? <laughs> Oh, I'll share that story later. That was hilarious. Um, getting thumbs up. We're not going to make fun of bald people. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh, man. Scripture is profitable for correction, which means setting to, resetting to an upright state, making right. Scripture gives us an opportunity to be made right and to see other people made right, fixed. Restated. And the last it says is training in righteousness, which is correction and discipline and admonition and calling out wickedness. And it does all that not so that you can become a Christian and have a really unfun time because I know that Christians mean we follow all the rules and there's no fun and no joy. No, it actually says that Scripture is good for all of that so that you and I will be made complete, made perfect. Some of us are closer than others. Just kidding. It's a bad joke. No, made complete. And this is what actually the, the Greek says. It, 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 it has this idea of a mutual, symmetrical, whole person. Even keel. Harmonious in quality. Man, that's how I am. I walk in a room, so everything's harmony. Right? But no, I'm not at all. But you guys know people like that? They walk in and everything kind of calms down. You're like, man, I just feel like it's charisma. But it says so that you may be made complete and equipped for every good work. So if, if we say that out of these things, that scripture being for teaching, scripture being for rebuking, reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we can be made perfect, made better, so we can be, be set right, why do we struggle with it so much? See, it's very popular for us to get up and be like, we stand on the promises of God. Yay! Absolutely. But what, what about when that means like that God is going to, like the Holy Spirit's going to convict things out of you and you have to repent to somebody? Like, what does that mean when you have to go to someone and be like, hey, I did this wrong thing and I'm sorry? Because what Scripture says is that that's actually making you a better, more whole person. Like, what about when Scripture says we have to deny ourselves of things? 
and sacrifice for other people and give of ourselves. Like, what about when it says those things? Is it still really exciting to stand on God's promises? I would venture to say, yes. Yes, it is. Does it hurt a little bit? Yep. You want to know what the, the greatest dose of humility I ever had to take was? I had to repent to my five-year-old one time. Well, Colin, he was eight, or he's eight now, almost nine, but he's five. I had to get on my knees and in tears, apologize and say, can you forgive me because of how I acted? That hurt. It's tough, but that's what scripture said to do. But it's, it's tough for us because it does a few things. The first thing it does is it takes authority away from us. Who likes to be in charge? Any type ones in here? Yeah, Enneagram one or type A personalities? There's a few people I know watching at home that are raising their hands. Right? Control. It takes authority away from us. It makes us not in control. The second that it does is it calls us to sacrifice for the sake of others. That's why we we struggle with Scripture. You want to know why I know that? Giving. tough. Serving is tough. When things for other people take out our schedules, it's tough. But here I think is the real hard part. We struggle because we actually, I think, as humans have a hard time trusting scripture. Let's call it is what it is. Because sometimes when things are really hard and when you're frustrated, when things aren't working as they should, when things aren't together, it's hard to look back at Scripture and be like, God, where are you? Like, why isn't this happening the way that I think it should happen? I've worked so hard. I've done these things. I've whatever fill in the blank is. And we have a hard time trusting God's promise because we can't see past our right now. So why do we need it? Let me read you Joshua chapter 4. Just the first little bit of it. This is what, what God says to Joshua. Starting in verse 1. When, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, <clears throat> from each tribe of man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly. And bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men and the people of Israel whom God had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take up each one of you a stone from his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. And here's the payoff. For when your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God literally tells him, hey, where you stand is actually harkening back to Exodus in chapter 3, when, when God tells Moses, he says, listen, you're going to be the one who leads my people out of 400 years of slavery. He said, this will be the point. And so as Joshua is finally getting into the promised land, the fulfillment of exactly what God promised, Moses is dead. When he's crossing over, God says, right where you stand, 
where you stand, get all of your leaders, have them gather a stone, grab it up, and set it as an altar so that when your generations next, as they're coming, pass by, they'll point at it, and it'll look a little weird, and they'll go, why is that there? And you can remind them of what God did, which is fulfill the promise to get his people out of bondage. He says, set an altar. These stones, that's literally what it was, a pile of 12 stones. He said, set it here so that when people pass, they will remember God's goodness. See, church, I think we have the same kind of problem. We forget God's goodness, and so we have a hard time trusting that he is who he says he is. But here is the promise that we have today, is that God is a promise maker. See, back in Exodus chapter 3, when God speaks to Moses, he says, you are going to be the one. Remember the burning bush? Maybe you're familiar with that. If you're not, go read Exodus 3. He actually meets Moses. He said, this is a holy ground. His presence is with him. And he says, you are going to be the one who leads my people out of Egypt. But think about what had to happen before that. Moses had to be born and sent down a river and then live most of his life getting up into being with the Pharaoh to where he now could have the authority to go in and lead, pe- lead his people out. But there were decades of work before that. And here God is reminding Jeremiah, says, now this is the moment. Or Joshua, excuse me. Now this is the moment, Joshua. When, when you can remind generations forever about what you have done, about what I've done, excuse me. See, listen, we stand on God's word. We trust in his promises because he is a promise maker. That's what he does. Listen, one of the most quoted verses in all of scripture, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. Who knows it? Anybody? Most of us have seen it on a shirt. It's quoted often, often out of context, sometimes with context. But it's a beautiful verse. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans for your good, not for evil. You know when he's saying that? He's saying that to people who are in exile. They're without a home. They have no hope. In fact, they are giving up. There's national calamity. The people are beginning to think that God abandoned them, and that's when God says, don't give up. I have a plan for you. When they are ready to be done. You ever been to that point? Like, let's just be honest, church. Let's be a church that's honest. We should have put that in our value. Um, You ever been to that point where you're ready to just be done? I have. 100%. Have the last six months, seven months, been challenging where you were like, this is never going to end. This is awful. You ever been to that point? Listen, it is when God had the people broken down to their fibers that he said, listen, now don't give up hope because I have a plan for you to prosper you, to benefit you for good, not for evil. When they were ready to give up. And he doesn't just go Old Testament, the New Testament, in Revelation, which is a book about what's to come. He actually says in Revelation 21, behold, I'm making all things new. Write these words down for these words are trustworthy and true. We talked about in Habakkuk a couple weeks ago. He actually answers Habakkuk in the third chapter and says, write this down. Thus says the Lord. And then he says, it's not even for you. It's for the future generations. 
But why can it even do that? Because listen, here's our second thing this morning is that God is a promise maker, but he's also a promise keeper. So here's Joshua walking with the people in the Ark of the Covenant across the Jordan. And he says, remember this moment. Remember this moment when I was more real and more apparent because the promises were being fulfilled. Make this a place, put an altar up so that it will be a place of hope for future generations. It's not just to say, hey, God made a promise. It's to say, hey, God kept a promise. And so that when other people are walking by across the Jordan and when they're hurting and when they have nothing left, they can look at the altar set generations before them and know that God has not given up. Because God is a promise keeper. Now, is this timing yours? No. But, but here's the reality, church. This is why we say we are going to continue to trust in God's promises. Because God is either 100% on his promises or, or he's not worthy of your worship at all. He is either 100% of who he is or not. There's no middle ground. Now, let's put a caveat in here, okay? If you're driving down the road and you're like, man, I think God just promised me six kids and a wife, and two years later you're like, God, you haven't shown up yet. Maybe you misheard God. Okay, Maybe that was a bump in the road. But God's promises about never giving up on you, about giving you a hope and a future, about eternity, about that this world isn't your home and about you will have trial and tribulation, but take heart for I've overcome the world. All of that will remain true forever because God is incapable of failing on his promises to you. Incapable of it. It's not in his character. He is not able to fail you. On his terms, not yours. We love putting God on terms because we love being the authority, but that's not what we're allowed. That's not what God says. But in Joshua 4, he says, remember, this is where Israel crossed on dry ground. So I really, really believe that part of the reason we go through trials is so that we can build trust, so that when the next trial comes, we have the trust to lean on instead of the fear. Like God allows us to go through things so that we can trust him in the future and we can actually exhort other people around us to also trust him. That's why community is so important. I've, I've told people multiple times, when, right actually to a week after I moved here, moved back to Greenville from Charleston, one of my best friends killed himself, committed suicide. And here was the hardest part. The last phone call he made was to my old number that I had just changed a day and a half before that and hadn't gotten around to telling him yet. You want to talk about guilt? You want to talk about weight? Woof. Man, I walked through that. And even as I was in the midst of that, I had someone who I love dearly look at me and go, I didn't even know you guys were close. And I was like, okay, I'm done. This is it for me. We're through. God, do what you do. I'm out. And I've told people in the past, I don't know why God allowed that to happen. God doesn't cause that, right? I don't think that's not how God works. He's not the author of sin and evil. But I don't know why God in his love and kindness would allow something like that to happen. It was hard. But here's what I've learned is that my friend knew Jesus and is with Jesus and was sick and it was really hard. But 
But God has been able, God has allowed me to use that moment to walk with people who are on the brink and to counsel people and to love them through that because I had to understand the depth of what that was before I could understand how to help bring someone out of it. And sometimes we need our trials to build our trust so that we can have trust in our next trials. And we forget that. Because we have been lied to that Jesus is a magic pill that makes life easy and great. Right? We've been told like, hey, give 10% and God will give you 10,000 times it. Or come to church and you'll never have hardship. Meet a young lady in church and she'll love you forever just like Jesus did. No, those aren't real. Those aren't real. The reality is Jesus says you will have trial and tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. I've not given up. The things you think will overtake you will not because God is in control of them, not us. That's why we make bad gods. Right? But God is either 100% on his promises or he's not. We have to take our trials and bring them into trust. So in our next trial, we can lean on trust. And I'm going to sound real pastoral here in a minute because I've got this statement that I worked on. That stole, actually, and then worked on. But, but the reason that's important is because I believe that the pathway to peace is, is paved by the promises of God. Like when you're in trial and struggle and when things don't add up, the only way to have peace in those moments is to lean on the promises of God. So we are going to be a church that leans in and trusts the promises of God. Like I'm an unapologetic for it. I'm going to be unapologetic for it. Over the next four weeks, I'm going to challenge your socks off. I'm going to ask you to do things that are going to make you uncomfortable because it's very easy to live in your hole and be very tight and to give excuses for things, and we don't have time for that. Amen, anybody? We don't have time for that. Because here's the reality. COVID was bad. Who knows what's coming next? It might be decades of peace, and God, I pray and hope that's what it is. But no matter what comes, we know trial and tribulation are two things that are coming. So let's be people who are about trusting God's promises rather than trusting the stinking news that goes on 24-7. Done with it, man. We don't have time for that. People are dying spiritually and physically 150 yards away from this church. I don't have time for that nonsense anymore. We don't have time. We are a church that believes in trusting in God's promises, and we are going to do it to the nth degree until we have nothing left. Because we have to. Because we have to. Because before you tell yourself why you can't do these things, you have to remind yourself of what God has already done. Before you tell me you can't give, you can't serve, you can't do this, you can't be a part, you don't have room in your schedule for this, you can't make this happen, I'm going to remind you, I just want you to know, like, Passive Sean didn't hear, I'm going to remind you of what God has done. And we are still here. We went to the beach for a couple days last week, it was awesome. Had the pleasure of going with my parents to medieval times, you ever been there? Anybody? Yeah, it's the, it's the best. There's swords and stuff, and it looks totally fake, but it's awesome. 
Um, because of the Lord's love and kindness toward me and my family, our night won the tournament. So all the other losers in there didn't experience what I did. Um, black and white night forever. Um, it's a celebratory shirt. No. But it was, it was really fun. It was really cool, actually. Um, so our night won. I'm going to talk about this forever because it was awesome. Our night won. And uh, before, when he first came out, they did this thing where the night like, does this you know, to all the, all the kids. And they give carnations, and my daughter got a carnation and just, like, melted in the chair. She was like, oh, my God. <laughs> it was incredible. But our night won, and at the end of it, he got to choose the queen of love and beauty. And if you've seen my five-year-old daughter, you know. So she got to be the queen of love and beauty. They gave a crown, a sash. It was awesome. And a picture, and she's so freaking adorable, it kills me. And they were like, give it up for the queen of love and beauty. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was COVID, so it was like half amount of people. And I'm like, you're not loud enough. Um, and it was super fun. But as we left, my heart kind of took a shot. Because directly across from medieval times is this huge church that was shut down because of COVID. Closed for sale. Done. I went on their website, and I was like, what happened there? And they literally shut down because of COVID. Like, they couldn't, they didn't make it through. Huge church. Like, if we had that building, y'all would, it would be Candyland in here every day. It would be incredible. And so there was this place where we had so much fun, and people were flinging swords around, and across the road was death. So what has God done for us? We're still here. You're still here. You are still breathing and alive. Like, if you want to sit on God's promises, remind yourself of where you are right now. Did you make it? Did you wake up today? Are you breathing air that God gave you? Do you have purpose? Listen, if you're still alive, God still has purpose for you. Live in it. Dive in it. Trust in God's promises. Don't sit back and seek comfort and peace and go, well, I just want to, you know, COVID's kind of scary. Like, be smart. I'm not, this is not a statement about COVID and masks and all that nonsense. All I'm telling you is this. Live and seek God's kingdom and his promises first. Remind yourself what God has done for you because you are still here. The third thing today, and this kind of sits right in it, is that we're going to trust in God's promises because the Bible is a lens we view life through. Life is not the lens we view the Bible through. It's not how it works. It's called eisegesis. Fancy, fancy seminary word. Eisegesis is taking one piece of scripture and funneling it through your viewpoint and saying, this is what God's word says. And it's how we get a lot of terrible theology, right? Exegete is the word we're looking for. You take scripture, you see what God is saying through it, who he's talking to, who the, the author is talking to, what the culture was at the time, what's important, why what he said mattered, and then you see what the heart of the piece of scripture is, the pericope, there's another one, and then you figure out how that messes your life up. That's what you do. That's how we view scripture. Bible is the lens we view life through. Life is not the lens we view the Bible through. And let me tell you why that's dangerous. Because when you start doing that and you start believing that, 
Things are going to shift in your life. And as it says in the video, people are going to demand an answer for why you're doing the things you're doing. Because it's not going to make sense to them. It's going to be weird. They're like, why in the world would you let that person live in your house? That's weird. Why would you go to the store and buy all that stuff to give to a, a, a foster parent? Why would you give up a Friday night to come and babysit other people's kids? That doesn't make sense. Because that's what happens when we view life through the lens of Scripture. It calls you to do crazy stuff. But you can't walk into the future knowing what's coming. It's impossible. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 says we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. So listen, here I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth here, okay? I'm going to just throw some promises out at you. Do you want a better life? You want joy and peace and compassion and patience? You want all those things? Listen, don't get on Facebook and be like, well, I'm just not a patient person. Junk. That's garbage. You know why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering. You know what that means? Patience. Seek it out. Be less like you and more like Jesus. Don't dive in and be like, well, the Lord just didn't give me the gift of patience. Yes, he did. Stop being a jerk. Like, someone cuts in front of you in line, that's okay. You will survive. I promise. Like, your order is taking a few seconds longer than it should because somebody in the back is checking their phone for a minute, I have great news. You are going to be filled with food very soon. You will be okay. It's not that big of a deal. Don't seek being a jerk. Seek patience. It's easy. Fruit of the Spirit. I didn't mean to go that hard, but I did. You want a better life? You want joy? You want comfort? You want peace? Read your Bible. Like, find out what Jesus says matters and stop listening to influencers. Oh my gosh, I'm about to go crazy. Stop listening to people who take pictures of themselves on beaches and be like, this is joyful. No, find out what Jesus says will bring you joy and then follow that. It's not that hard. And, and, and if that's you on a beach and that's where you rest, that's fine. But man, stop trying to steal joy from Scripture and paint it in a beach sunset. I don't like the beach as much, okay? Sand is coarse, and it gets everywhere. For my Star Wars fans. You, you want a better marriage? You, you, want a, you want a better partnership with your husband, your wife, your spouse? Or here's, here's let's throw this wrench in. You want to have a better marriage when you found that person and it's time to be married? Prep yourself now. Read the Bible. Be with Jesus. Like, stop doing what you think you should and do what Jesus says you should. Man, college is back, and I wish they were here next week so they could hear this, or here this week instead of next week so they could hear this. Like, guys, if you want to prepare yourself for a better marriage, stop allowing your eyes to fall on things that aren't you.